This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free online resource for health professionals' education. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Anomalies of the Female Reproductive Tract, an overview for the medical student. By the end of this video, you will be able to explain the normal embryologic development of the female reproductive tract, understand the embryologic errors underlying non-obstructive anomalies and the conditions associated with and the fertility implications of these anomalies, and describe the epidemiology, clinical presentation, and management of obstructive anomalies. Chapter 1. Introduction. The female reproductive tract develops in a complex manner and involves a series of events including cellular differentiation, migration, fusion, and canalization. Abnormal embryologic development can occur at a variety of points in this intricate process, resulting in a range of anatomic anomalies. These anomalies can occur anywhere from the level of the hymen to the uterus and can present at different points in an individual's development and with variable presentation. Chapter 2. Normal Embryologic Development of the Female Reproductive Tract It is well understood that this process is directed by the presence or absence of the SRY gene on the Y chromosome, and in the absence of the SRY gene, female anatomy develops. However, studies conducted in humans suggest that it is not a single gene that dictates this process and that there may be a female determining factor as well. Many studies hypothesize that environmental factors may also contribute. We'll start at the sixth week of gestational development in the indifferent stage. The mesonephric or Wolfian ducts, which develop into the male anatomical structures, are present. Arising from the mesonephric ducts, the ureteric bud induces differentiation of the metanephros, which will become the kidneys. As we're focusing on development of the female reproductive structures, we will not show the alimentary tract, rectum, or the rest of the development of the kidney. The malarian, or paramesonephric ducts, first appear in the sixth week and arise from invagination of proliferating colomic cells and elongate laterally to the Wolfian ducts. They then cross ventrally and direct medially, and in the seventh week, descend to reach the urogenital sinus near the cloaca. The caudal tips of the ducts adhere to each other as they contact the urogenital sinus. In weeks eight to nine, the ducts fuse and the septum degenerates, forming one tube, the primitive uterovaginal canal. In week nine, the Wolfian ducts regress, leaving remnants behind. In weeks 11 to 12, the contact between the fused malarian ducts and the urogenital sinus induces development of the sinovaginal bulbs, which in combination with outgrowth from the malarian ducts, results in formation of the vaginal plate. Proliferation continues at the cranial end of the plate, increasing the distance between the uterus and urogenital sinus. Canalization of the vaginal plate proceeds in a cephalad direction and is completed by the 20th week. In summary, the first and second portions of the malarian ducts form the fallopian tubes, while the distal segment forms the uterus and upper vagina. The lower vagina and hymen are of urogenital sinus origin. It's been suggested that the fimbriae may be derived from non-malarian structures, 
since they've been found to be present in cases of malarian agenesis and are theorized to play a role in ovarian cancer. Chapter 3, Non-Obstructive Reproductive Tract Anomalies Non-obstructive anomalies can be categorized by where the error in the embryologic process occurred. Errors can occur in fusion, canalization, or resorption, or errors can result in complete agenesis of malarian structures. These conditions do not present with abnormalities of the external genitalia, and many may be asymptomatic. When there are symptoms, they typically are primary amenorrhea, pelvic pain, or pregnancy complications, which may be attributed to functional issues, and thus these conditions can be missed on routine exam of adolescence. Errors in unification or fusion of the two malarian ducts can result in a unicornuate uterus, which is a single uterine horn with or without a small rudimentary horn that can be communicating or non-communicating, and with or without endometrium. It can also result in uterus didelphus, which is two uteri and two cervices. When there is uterine duplication, there is frequently a longitudinal vaginal septum, which is an incomplete fusion resulting in tissue running down the length of the vaginal canal. It can present with bleeding despite tampon placement, difficulty with tampon insertion, or painful intercourse. Lastly, when there is partial fusion of the malarian ducts, a uterus bicornuate results. Errors in canalization or resorption of the already fused malarian ducts can result in a septate uterus, which is the most common uterine anomaly. The septum can be of variable thickness and length and can be associated with a longitudinal vaginal septum. An arcuate uterus can result in a slight midline indentation and is considered a normal variant with no clinical significance. Malarian anomalies are associated with renal anomalies 30 to 40% of the time, and thus when a malarian anomaly is identified, it's important to evaluate the renal system and vice versa. Many different urologic anomalies can occur, such as renal agenesis or duplication or ectopic or duplicated ureters. Though all malarian anomalies can be associated with renal anomalies, any anomaly with uterine duplication, such as bicornuate, unicornuate, or didelphus, can be associated with unilateral renal anomalies on the same side as the uterine anomaly. One example in uterus didelphus is the syndrome of obstructed hemivagina and ipsilateral renal anomaly called OVIRA, in which the most common anomaly is renal agenesis. Also in uterus didelphus, given the uterine and cervical duplication, a longitudinal vaginal septum should be evaluated for. Women with arcuate uterus have similar pregnancy outcomes as the general obstetric population, while all other subtypes have increased risk of miscarriage, preterm labor, and fetal malpresentation, with uterus didelphus having a lower risk and septate uterus having a higher risk. The last embryologic error is complete malarian agenesis, where there is absence of the vagina and commonly cervical or uterine agenesis as well. This condition is also called vaginal agenesis or known by the eponym Meyer-Rokitansky-Custer-Hauser or MRKH syndrome. It is most widely cited as occurring in 1 in 5,000 female births and is the second most common cause of pathologic primary amenorrhea after gonadal dysgenesis. Women with this condition are XX females presenting with primary amenorrhea, but normal ovarian function, puberty, and secondary sex characteristics. 
There is usually no pain, but if uterine remnants are present and there is active endometrium, there can be cyclical abdominal pain. On physical exam, one would see normal breast and pubic hair development with no vaginal opening or an underdeveloped vagina proximal to the hymen. Pelvic ultrasound can be used for diagnosis with MRI as the gold standard for determining uterine presence, size, and anatomy. It is important to distinguish this from complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, which also presents with primary amenorrhea and absence of a functional vagina. In complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, pubic and axillary hair are scant or absent. In MRKH, a karyotype could be obtained to confirm 46XX as a patient with complete androgen insensitivity syndrome would be 46XY, though this is not required. Renal ultrasound, spine radiographs, and auditory testing should be performed given the associated anomalies. In managing this condition, it is particularly important to be thoughtful about the delivery of the diagnosis. Depending on the age at which this is diagnosed or individual circumstances, a patient may not be motivated to or able to cope with or simply may not want management or surgery. If and when a patient is interested, a functional vagina can be created primarily through vaginal dilation, and if this fails, there are other surgical options. If uterine remnants exist and cause pain due to cyclical endometrium, surgical resection may be required or hormonal contraception can be used to suppress the active endometrium. Chapter 4, Obstructive Reproductive Tract Anomalies. In some anatomical variants, menarche occurs due to a functional uterus, but blood cannot flow out due to a blockage at the level of the cervix or vagina. This leads to a collection of blood in the vagina, a hematocolpos, or in the uterus, hematometra. When blood collects in the uterus and vagina, this is called hematometracolpos. The collections result in cyclic or chronic pelvic pain and primary amenorrhea. Patients typically present in the first year after menarche was expected to occur. As teenagers may have irregular menstruation for several years after menarche, they may not experience monthly pain. The obstructive anomalies will be discussed based on how they present, either with primary amenorrhea and pain, or menstruation and progressive dysmenorrhea. Imperforate hymen is the most common outflow tract concern, occurring in 1 in 2,000 females. It may be identified during the newborn period or after menarche, where after several cycles of bleeding, the vagina becomes distended and pain becomes more severe. If the hematocolpos is large, it can cause urinary retention and bowel complaints. There are multiple hymen variants that also may not cause obstruction, but may make tampon use difficult, such as microperforate or septate hymen. These variants can be picked up on physical exam. In cases of imperforate hymen, visual inspection of the vulva will reveal a bluish hue or bulging hymenal membrane with no hymenal opening. If the hematocolpos is long-standing, there can be a palpable abdominal mass and a bulge felt via rectal exam since the vagina sits just anterior to the rectum. Diagnosis is made with physical exam and or ultrasound if there is a question of the diagnosis or to ensure that the uterus is normal. It is critical to ensure that the diagnosis is correct as it can be confused with lower vaginal agenesis, low transverse vaginal septum, or vaginal agenesis. 
surgical repair of the hymen should ideally occur after puberty to allow for adequate estrogen stimulation to assist with healing. A transverse vaginal septum can arise from a failure in fusion and or canalization of the malarian ducts and urogenital sinus and can be located at any level of the vagina. It occurs in 1 in 21,000 to 1 in 72,000 females and 46% are located in the upper vagina. The presentation is similar to imperforate hymen with primary amenorrhea and episodes of abdominal pain increasing in severity. Just as with variants of the hymen, there can also be microperforations in the vaginal septum, delaying the diagnosis due to non-obstructive symptoms, such as vaginal bleeding or foul discharge from an ascending infection. On physical exam, a normal hymenal opening is seen and a bulge can be palpated on rectal exam. The location of the vaginal septum, high versus low in the vagina, can usually be determined during the rectal exam by noting how proximal or distal the hematocopos can be palpated. A Q-tip test can also be performed to assess the depth of the vagina and thus determine the location of the obstruction. Initial imaging for diagnosis consists of a pelvic and or translabial ultrasound, with pelvic MRI being the gold standard. A high transverse septum can sometimes be confused with congenital absence of the cervix. Surgical approaches for management depend on septal thickness and involve resection of septal tissue and anastomosis of upper and lower vaginal mucosa. Management may require postoperative dilation, and if surgery or dilation is not desired at the time of diagnosis, menstrual suppression can be used until definitive surgical management is desired, or it can be continued if it is not. Lower vaginal agenesis or atresia results from the failure of the urogenital sinus to develop into the lower portion of the vagina. Isolated vaginal agenesis occurs in roughly 1 in 5,000 females. This presents with primary amenorrhea and cyclic pain and a pelvic mass after menarche occurs and the upper vagina distends. On exam, a lack of vaginal orifice or a vaginal dimple will be observed. A rectal exam can assist with determining how much of the lower vagina did not develop. Knowing the length of the atretic portion of the vagina is important for surgical management. Pelvic ultrasound can be used to confirm normal ovaries, obstructed upper vagina, and presence of a cervix and uterus. A transperineal or translabial ultrasound can be used to measure the distance from the hymenal tissue to the obstructed proximal vagina, but MRI is the gold standard in determining the anatomy, which is important for surgical management. MRI or ultrasound can be used to evaluate for the presence or absence of renal anomalies. As noted, lower vaginal agenesis can be confused with complete vaginal agenesis or imperforate hymen. The length of the atretic portion of the vagina determines the surgical procedure that should be performed. If it is less than 3 cm in length, a vaginal pull-through procedure can be performed by bringing the upper vaginal tissue to the introitus, while if the atretic portion is greater than 3 cm, then a graft may need to be used to create the vagina. Management may require post-operative dilation, and if surgery or dilation is not desired at the time of diagnosis, menstrual suppression can be used until definitive surgical management is desired, or it can be continued if it is not. Cervical agenesis is a rare diagnosis with incidence of approximately 1 in 80,000 to 1 in 100,000, 
and co-occurs with vaginal agenesis 50% of the time, as the embryologic origin of the cervix and upper vagina are the same. Presentation is similar to lower vaginal agenesis with primary amenorrhea and pain. On physical exam, a distended uterus can be palpated. Diagnosis is made by ultrasound and MRI. As previously mentioned, similar conditions include a high transverse septum and lower vaginal agenesis. Treatment for cervical or vaginal agenesis is hysterectomy or menstrual suppression. Extensive counseling is necessary to discuss these options until the patient is 18 and of legal age to consent on their own. Though there have been attempts to create an endocervical tract, these procedures have had significant post-operative complications, including ascending infection and sepsis. The final two anomalies present with progressive dysmenorrhea in the context of menstrual cycles. Obstructed hemivagina with ipsilateral renal anomalies, or ovira, is a rare condition in which there is complete duplication of uterine horns and upper vagina and associated ipsilateral renal anomalies, with renal agenesis being the most common. The classic presentation is seen here with didelphus uterus, but other uterine variants such as bicornuate and unicornuate can present similarly. Patients typically have regular periods as there is a non-obstructed hemivagina. On the obstructed side, there can be complete obstruction due to a hemivaginal septum, resulting in progressive dysmenorrhea and a large bulge, or there can be a microperforation in the septum, resulting in no pain or bulge, as the typically obstructed side can drain, but this fistula or pinhole opening can increase risk for ascending infection. On physical exam, a solitary cervix can be palpated, and the mass from the hematocolpos can be palpated on vaginal and rectal exams. Initial imaging with a pelvic ultrasound may show a hematocolpos, However, MRI is important to confirm the exact anatomic diagnosis for surgical planning. Again, renal imaging is indicated given the high association with renal anomalies. In any female born without a kidney, there should be a very high suspicion for ovira, and the malarian anatomy should be further evaluated around puberty or shortly after menarche. Treatment is transvaginal resection of the obstructive vaginal septum. The last obstructive condition is non-communicating uterine horn. Unicornuate uterus occurs in 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 5,400 women, and a large percentage of those have an associated rudimentary horn, although it's unclear what percentage are non-communicating versus communicating. A non-communicating uterine horn with functional endometrium presents similarly to obstructed hemivagina soon after puberty with regular menstrual cycles, and severe dysmenorrhea that is responsive only to complete hormonal suppression. On physical exam, there will be a solitary vagina and cervix, and a bulge in the vagina and rectum may or may not be palpated. Ultrasound will show a mass, and MRI is important in identifying if and where the obstructed horn connects to the non-obstructed uterine horn. Renal imaging is indicated given the relatively high likelihood of renal anomalies with unilateral uterine anomalies. A rudimentary uterine horn can be confused with an adnexal mass. Management involves surgical removal of the obstructed uterine horn or hormonal suppression. In summary, female reproductive tract anomalies can be classified as being either non-obstructive or obstructive in nature. 
Non-obstructive anomalies can be further classified by whether an error occurs in the fusion or canalization of the malarian ducts, or whether there is complete agenesis of the malarian duct system. Obstructive anomalies can be categorized into those that largely present with primary amenorrhea and cyclic pain, and those that present with normal menstruation and severe dysmenorrhea. While management of many of these obstructive malarian anomalies will inevitably involve surgical correction, this may not be feasible or required immediately, and therefore some patients may require a combination of treatment modalities prior to definitive management. These include surgical, medical, including hormonal suppression or dilation, and psychosocial, including support groups and psychotherapy. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. Check out the description box to view the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast. To hear more podcasts like this one, log on to openpediatrics.org.